this is this is Ned and uh, having a meeting with uh, Grandmaster Pycelle. And yeah, <laughs> shall we make the joke? This is just what happened in one night, Dave. A drowning, a tavern riot, three knife fights, a raid, two fires, robberies beyond count, and a drunken horse race down the street of sisters. <laughs> Pretty much from now is pedal to the metal. Hello and welcome to part four of Shark Liver Royal's coverage of A Game of Thrones by George R. R. Martin. Now, listen, I'm Matt. <laughs> I'm Dave, hello. <laughs> This is the third attempt we've had to start the podcast, <laughs> and we are we are going to carry on regardless now. Because I'm yes, not starting are. again. The so hell with is, that. Yeah, this is the fourth. Um, this is the, obviously the fourth episode we're doing. It follows roughly um, the fourth episode if you if you've ever watched the series of the Game of Thrones. But we're looking specifically at the book. So this this episode is called "The Cripples, Bastards, and Broken Things," and when we last stopped reading. Uh, we just got up to a chapter about Bran. So that seems like the right place to start, Dave. What do you reckon? Well, it, given that otherwise we would either be retracing our steps or missing out some material, I'd say it's the perfect place to start, yes. Let's do it then. Let's so it, start, it starts with Bran is in bed, recovering from his, um, obviously, his coma, which he's been in for ages. And um, he's chatting with old Nan, who's uh, the sort of the castle's elderly woman, it seems. <laughs> She, she, she's a <laughs> the resident, the resident old lady. This is a world well, where is. women are so scarce that there's one old lady per yeah. major military institution. So, yeah, so she takes on um, resident old lady duties. Like she tells stories um, from her youth. She knits, it seems, for a long period of time. She she's also the midwife, so she's birthed most of the uh, most of the kids, uh, most of the lord's children. And, and, and she also um, she also is the resident shitter up of, of childhood dreams. Yeah, like yeah. the number of times throughout the book that the Stark kids come in and, and they're talking about something and they're frightened, and it turns out that the root of their fear is a story that they were once told by old man. <laughs> <laughs> they'd all be phenomenally well adjusted if it wasn't for this woman going around going oh if you're not careful the grumpkins will get you yeah <laughs> yeah that's very much her role in um in the castle but um the the interesting thing here is she she is quite good in this chapter is giving us a bit of a, a, a again a history lesson or an ancient history lesson almost about the last time the white walkers came south there was a massive long winter, freezing cold, and on top of all that, you have these big blue monsters wandering around, murdering people left, right, and centre. Yeah, doesn't sound like a lot of fun. Doesn't sound like a lot of fun, and it's one of these. It's another one of these little bits where George Martin has has the balls to just sort of drip feed the real yeah. terror of this world into yeah. us instead of you know. So I mean, so we've said this several times. Is he starts off with this White Walker thing, and you think it's going to be a fantasy zombie movie zombie book mm. and then it all goes away and you know and then it's political intrigue and and you know Ned Stark this and King Robert that and um and then this is just one of those moments where he kind of goes in case you were wondering the real story is about these fucking terrifying beasts anyway yeah back to the distraction <laughs> yeah. it's just it's just those little little dashes of it which keep appearing again and again just little reminders aren't they of this yeah. sort of uh, this this terror that's just under the surface at the moment and um yeah it's 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 always always helps to move the plot along a bit as well doesn't it can you imagine having the stones to write a story where like the real story wasn't really going to get fleshed out 
well, it was going to be fleshed out over the course of seven whole books. Yeah. Um, now, the the whole sort of this discussion here goes on for a while. Eventually, we get to the point where Bran's called to the hall um, to receive a guest, and it's the arrival of Tyrion. So uh, Rob, who's obviously uh, actually just just quicker, there's an interesting uh, little part about Rob, how he's kind of again we, we've spoken about this before, but he's he's almost two people now, Rob, because on the one hand he's trying to be the Lord of Winterfell in yeah. um, you know it, it, because Ned's uh, headed off south, um, but at the same time he's still effectively you know barely more than a boy. He's a uh, and and you keep seeing him slip back to a couple of sort of yeah. more immature things, but it, he's trying very hard to to be this sort of leader that he's supposed to be now. And yeah. Tyrion, arrive, Tyrion arrives at the uh, at Winterfell, and obviously this is a pretty uncomfortable meeting because, as we know, Rob um, now believes that Tyrion was responsible for what happened to Bran. Yeah. It's, uh, can I make an Arrested Development reference? Yeah, go on. He's a... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so there's this, just, this you know, very... Tyrion walks in and Rob's there just like, oh, it's you. Yeah. We should talk. <laughs> so there's this very frosty um, reception for Tyrion. Tyrion seems relatively surprised about this, or he at least gives that impression. Mm. And um, and he actually reaches out, I suppose, to Bran, um, where he, he brings this these plans in to allow him to ride a horse, even though he's lost the use of his legs, Bran, now. It's basically yeah. this, this special saddle which Tyrion has used in the past because obviously as a dwarf he he doesn't have the, 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 the his legs aren't long enough to actually ride a horse properly but he's got yeah. this contraption and he thinks it might work for Bran as well yeah. and uh, this this brings us to the you know uh, the the title of this episode as well or the title of our episode um, where he says when he, when when he's asked why you know why would you do this for Bran he says I have a tender spot in my heart for cripples bastards and broken things. Yeah, and you've seen it as well, haven't you? With the kind of the when he's been up on the wall, the conversations have with Jon Snow up there, where there's mm. this, you know, they end up shaking hands and, and addressing each other as friend, and yeah. um, and there's no good reason for that to be so. Like, there's clearly no love lost between the Starks and the Lannisters. Yeah. But um, but Tyrion seems to have this thing where, like, as much as he's loyal to his family, he's not. He's not averse to making friends wherever they may, wherever they are to be found. Mm. Um, like he's, he's he's got this. He's one of the reasons. I, I Tyrion's one of my favourite characters because he's got this really unusual kind of moral place. Like he's not a goodie and he's not a baddie. He's he's a proper yeah. complex character who's got all yeah. sorts of flaws and might do things that are quite bad, but at the same time has a very strong moral core where he's like, no, you know, I I feel for this kid. He's broken his back. You know, he's not yeah. going to walk again. How can I help? Although it seems that he was responsible for that in the first place. It does seem that way. So, <laughs> so, so, so it's like, but, but, um, but, I mean, this throws it into into question, doesn't it? Because you can, yeah. you know, uh, did he, did he do it? You know, there's been some talk in um, back in uh, in King's Landing about where somebody else won that won that dagger and um, yeah. and the, you know, the, uh, he was in a bet and yeah. and this kind of. Like, if there's enough anyway, this is what I'm talking about, there's enough to make it really ambiguous. He acts in this yeah. apparently very compassionate way, but he might have been responsible for the murder in the first place, or maybe he was, or maybe he wasn't. 
Yeah. And nothing well, certain except the character's really, really interesting, and I love that. Yeah. And the thing is, I, I was thinking two things here when when I first read it was, on the one hand, yeah, he, he he's reaching out, and, and from the point of view chapters as well, you think he's not that bad a guy. But then you also think, well, you've seen how how much of a canny political operator he is. So if he was responsible for this, this is just the kind of move he'd make to, to distance himself from it. So so Rob will think, oh, well, you know... It couldn't have been him. Uh, does, does, doesn't, doesn't quite fit here, yeah. yeah. So so he's, he's doing... If he has done it, he's making quite a good job here of remo- pushing himself away from the, uh, I don't know, the, the area of suspicion, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 this just sets it up beautifully, doesn't it? Because this, this is a great scene. It crackles with tension. And it's one where the whole time you're reading it going, I don't know who I'm supposed to be rooting for here. No, and there's an added element to that. There's the wolves who practically who almost kill him in this. The, the wolves come into the, the hall and um, until, until they're actually called off, you think they might actually do for him because they're very oh, yeah. aggressive and and they they and you off on throughout the books actually um without wanting to spoil anything the wolves often seem as um seem able to detect threats um especially when the uh, when the humans don't maybe don't see something oh that's interesting and, and, yeah and that made me and i think when i first read this i thought that's probably another mark in the maybe Tyrion is responsible box because you know whenever you have animals like this in most fantasy books or things like this they they often see things that the other characters don't yeah, so you're wondering yeah. yeah is 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 he you know not all he seems yeah i was going to say that actually the thing i was thinking of was um you know the uh the his dark materials trilogy by philip baldwin oh yeah yeah you know so you've got these uh you know every character in in the magical world has their it's called a demon like their little little kind of animal reflection thing that follows them around and and yeah. shows what they're really thinking or feeling, um, and um, and this is these wolves are kind of that, but opposite because they're showing what's really going on, not in the character but in the world. You know, mm. they're kind of responding to the world as the character should be, or mm. would be better off if they did sort of thing. And it's just an interesting. I like that much better to be honest, because you know I don't. I you know like I, there were all sorts of things that were good about his dark materials, but I thought that the um, you know having having an animal to put somebody's subconscious on the on the pages a little bit, just put it in the yeah. dialogue. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Whereas this yeah. this allows you to have just it's all narrative, it's all tension, it's all juice, and it's all great. It's like I love these. Yeah, books. yeah. Uh, let's let's move on to uh, to Eddard, the next chapter. Right. And um, this is this is Ned and uh, having a meeting with uh, Grandmaster Pycelle. And yeah, <laughs> shall we make the joke? Every time I hear Grandmaster <laughs> Pycelle's name in my head, I hear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I suppose to make the joke, because we always do it when he's mentioned, Grandmaster Pycelle, who is not a famous DJ, he is in fact probably the, one of the sort of foremost academics in Westeros, isn't he? It um, is, but it's worth saying that we only really see him when he's at work, so who knows what he gets up to in the evening? Like, yeah, he might be a beast on the decks uh, behind closed doors. A beast on the decks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm calling him that the beast of the decks, Grandmaster Pycelle. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I, I mean, seriously, what are you? Fir- what were your first impressions of of this guy? Well, he's kind of he suffers from being kind of lumped in with everybody else on the small council. Hmm. So you know, I kind of instantly don't trust him because I'm very bought into Eddard, 
who's very yeah. very uncomfortable with all of the all of the political back and forth and nonsense in yeah. um, in the small council and Grandmaster Pycell clearly hasn't clearly has been a part of the way power works in King's Landing for a very very long time. So yeah. it's it's a bit like you know you're kind of wondering you know like he, he he starts off as a character that you don't really trust but on the other hand you know he's kind of it, it's clear that the other characters give him all the respect that they would give to any other meister and they yeah. are these kind of people who are supposed to be one step removed from the politics and all about serving serving mm. the kind of ongoing good of the kingdom or their their particular city as a whole so yeah. he has a benign job but seems seems to associate with malign individuals so you're a yeah. bit like you don't really i certainly i didn't know which way to jump i was definitely suspicious yeah, yeah. how about you and, and well well I, th- I think i'm very very similar and i think it's because you have this suspicion because ned is obviously suspicious at the end of this conversation um uh the Pycelle says I'm, I'm here to remember i'm here to serve and ned sort of walks away thinking yeah but who are you serving and, um, uh. and i think that that's that's all sort of wrapped up in this, isn't it? Yes, yes and, it is. I mean, th- this is a, it's it's pretty much an interrogation, isn't it? Ned is is they're talking about the death of John Arryn, who was the the old hand of the king. Mm. Ned's trying to find out if there was any foul play, which he obviously strongly suspects now. And you could even get the feeling that Ned's suspicious of Pycelle's involvement because he he makes mention to the fact that when Pycelle was trying to save. Um, when he was re- when John Arryn was really ill and Pycelle's you know, trying to save him, he sent away um, the other maester who was sort of John Arryn's personal physician, effectively. Yeah, and he, he he sent him away, and and Ned's obviously a little bit suspicious of that. He's like, so so you made sure that you were the only person responsible for his for his care, and then he died. It doesn't <laughs> look very good, does it? That's true, and that's a uh, and that is that is full on. Cluedo character suspicious activity, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. like yeah. Grandmaster Pycelle, who for some reason dismissed the other medical professionals in the room shortly before John Aaron died of poisoning. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and you get you get this sense of, of Ned. Ned is quite blunt with things like this as well with accusations because that's a thinly veiled accusation directly at Pycelle. He also describes poison as a woman's weapon, which is obviously again a very thinly veiled <laughs> accusation directed towards the Queen. Um, yeah. So he's he's sort of feeling things out, and but at the same time, you know, not in the most um, I don't know in, in in the most sensitive or the most careful way that he maybe he could. Yeah. Um, but it, it, he ends up coming away with this book, which is uh, it sounds extremely boring. Um, I mean, to be honest, <laughs> this might have been what finished off John Arryn just reading it. But it was a book <laughs> on lineage. <laughs> Um, so all the uh, like the fathers and fathers and fathers and fathers of all the great houses in Westeros, mm. and for some reason, John Arryn was uh, was particularly interested in that. Mm. Um, there's a couple of other bits in this chapter as, as Ned Ned heads back. He bumps into Arya, who's uh, who's practicing standing on one leg, which is great because <laughs> that's what her dancing masters told her to do. It is a brilliant scene, isn't it? She's learning to <laughs> she's learning how to use a sword. And the upshot of this is that she's to be seen around the palace, standing on one leg. And if you approach her and ask what she's doing, she just goes, my dancing master told me to, go away. Yeah. At that point, if you weren't really tuned in to what was going on in her life, you would assume there was something a bit wrong, wouldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then there's this there's this meeting with Littlefinger again as well. Oh, who, Littlefinger. Uh, th- this, 
Th- oh, this will you two, ever be benign? <laughs> this serves two purposes. One, to move the plot forward slightly, because he, he suggests that Ned seeks out this guy called Sir Hugh, who up until very recently was John Arryn's squire, so he was very close to John Arryn. Yeah. And he got promoted immediately after Arryn's death. Um, so there's that. And there's he also was just... He occurrence, that. It, exactly, yeah. He was very and, close and, to him and was, he was promoted shortly <laughs> after his death. Yeah. And there's also um, this... It just serves again to show just how... Um, insidious this place is I suppose that mm. when they're speaking this thing is pointing out these various people in the yard and nearby who are all spies for one person or another and Ooh. he also he also warns um, or in a sort of a laughing at him kind of way warns Ned not to trust anyone he says is there anybody you trust entirely in your household Ned says yes and he says the correct answer to that question is no and then he also says, he also pretty much says, you shouldn't trust me either. Um, yeah. And, and just says, you know, take that as you will. Which, is, again, is sort of, it just, for, for, for Ned, for a guy who is obviously predisposed to, well, he's used to people generally telling the truth, it yeah. must be just a massive it's, head fuck for him. It must be, yeah. Because, and they all tell the truth because, I mean, because he's earned respect and so on, but also because they're scared of him. Because he yeah. is he is the baddest assist in the whole of the North, which is the baddest assist part of a fairly dysfunctional kingdom, yeah. and and here he is in a place full of people who aren't scared of him and yeah. who don't respect him. Um, but <laughs> I wonder whether this bit is, is is sort of is is as close as a slug like Littlefinger can come to to giving like avuncular advice, sort of sitting yeah. down and being like, "Listen, you can't trust anyone, including me." Yeah, <laughs> like, and that's this is this headfuck is as close as Littlefinger's ever gonna get to being like, let me help you out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's it's that classic. Um, there are two ways people do it. One is um, sitting people down, going, "Oh, look, let me, help, I want to help you genuinely." And the other is, you don't really know what you're doing here, and um, oh, you don't understand the rules, and they're just absolutely lording it over them, and just it, yeah. it's just to it's just to make him feel better as much as anything else. Littlefinger, yeah, I think, with this, that's isn't true. it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, well, let's go from Ned the baddest assist to uh, the arrival of a character who I don't think we're ever going to say um, reaches those heights. And it's uh, it's a character called Sam. So we got we got to, it's a John perspective <laughs> chapter, and um, a new a new recruit arrives in the yard. This poor bastard called Sam. Yeah. Who, um, he's actually uh, some highborn um, actual mini lordling, if you like, because he. Uh, He's the son of a very prominent figure down in the south, um, called Randall Tarley, I think, and he's he's his eldest son, and he's been sent up to the wall. We find out why a bit later on, and it's clear that Sam isn't much of a fighter. He's in, he's very fat, and he is he's brought his own armor along, so he's obviously a guy of wealth, but he's just he's just getting kicked around the yard. And um, barely putting up a fight. There is an interesting difference to the uh, to the series. In the TV series, he kind of he arrives in the yard and he gets sort of just tapped on the pretty much tapped on the arm by a sword. And he just falls over and that's it. And he just and it's just shows how sort of like, pathetic don't, he is. Don't hurt me! Don't hurt me! Yeah. In yeah. in the book, 
he he does try and fight, and he just he just gets battered, and he ends up a bloody mess. So yeah. he, he so it is quite. I think in the book you really get more of a feeling of just what a tough place the wall is because when we saw it through John's eyes, obviously he can handle himself. Yeah. But if you're if you're any way weak like Sam is, it's a very very hard place, despite it being yeah. this meritocracy. Yeah, and it, yeah, in the um, in the TV series though, you've already shown people having the shit kicked out of them at the wall, and yeah. the character of Sam is different than characters like Pip and other people that John's sort of trying to help out. Where yeah. Um, they've all had the shit kicked out of them. Sam is supposed to be different, and he needs to start at this totally pathetic place. So I understand why they filmed it yeah. that way. But you're right; yeah. in the book, you don't really need to do that because you are going to have more time to develop the characters. That means you've got this this scene. You have the space to actually use it to establish the fact that the wall is just a fucking horrible place. It's like yeah. it's like Borstal without the the, the same carefree <laughs> sense of fun. <laughs> Borstal. Send him to Boston. That, that's exactly what I'm drawing on there. 1950s <laughs> correctional institution for wayward young boys. Yeah. Um, so it, it, this moves into, it effectively becomes a, a a conflict between John and Sir Alistair, the trainer. Oh, you've been because, waiting for it, haven't you? Isn't yeah. Great? <laughs> yeah. So uh, Sir Alistair uh, ends up sending a couple of, of, of other guys against John because John's sticking up for Sam. And in the end, John beats all of them, and Alistair, Sir Alistair sort of wanders off in a bit of a huff. Sir Alistair, I mean, in the TV series, I found him quite an intimidating presence, but in the book, he's, he's what you said last time, he's so clearly just a pathetic bully that, yeah. that he's, he's just like... I, could just, I just have this wonderful image of John, like, you know, being pitched into this totally unjust you know, manifestly abusive scenario where he's just throwing everything he's got at this kid he's supposed to be training, you know, Sir Alice is just throwing yeah. everything he's got at John. And um, and John just spanks them all. And then I've just got this wonderful image of him looking up at the balcony where Sir Alice is and just going, say what? <laughs> <laughs> just a sort of slight incline of the head and the, anything else was there? No, I think I'll go and have a bit of food. I see him doing that. Do you know um, Morpheus in the Matrix? Yeah, they're doing the, they're doing that karate thing, and he does that little like come to me gesture. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what it is, isn't it? Come yeah. on, come on. <laughs> there's a, there's a good bit um, where I suppose it helps illustrate how Sam is a bit different. How he, he actually when they're talking afterwards and asking why he didn't put in much of a fight, and he, Sam actually calls himself a coward, mm. and everyone's really shocked at that because even if you are quite um, cowardly in this world, you never actually admit it, and um, and he's he's his sort of self esteem is so low yeah. that he calls himself pretty much one of the worst things you can call yourself in this in this kind of environment is a coward, isn't it? Craven is um, traditionally in like in, in medieval uh, Europe was one of the worst things you could possibly call somebody, yeah. and it was what people fought and died over being you know, those oh, kind dang. of slights. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And, and 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 that just all serves to make um, Sam Tali a very interesting character. Because I was, I must confess, when I first came across this character, I was a bit like, because I hadn't I hadn't really clocked at that point, where in the TV series, like how well it was written, and so I thought it's just another excuse to have somebody just shat on from a great height, like because I think yeah. we've seen quite a lot of that in this world already. Um, yeah. Whereas you know, it, it is always to a purpose. 
and yeah. um, and the purpose here is to introduce this really interesting character who is kind of kind of presents you with your own complicity in the way this world works because I think there's a bit of everybody that starts to chime after a while with this kind of medieval system of honor and strength and power and all of this kind of yeah. thing and actually you know he doesn't I don't think George Martin really wants you to admire such a system it's just that it's necessary yeah. it has its honors and its its disgraces and so on but I think yeah. he wants he wants he kind of wants, always wants you to criticise it a bit in the back of your head, always question it a bit. And the way you do that mm. is by bringing this character who's so useless in comparison, you know, under this system. But he's also, you know, he's, he's not just one-dimensionally shit. And it's yeah. quite interesting as well. Well, I think Sam, it, I suppose in a, in a similar way, bizarrely to Arya, is a good example of what happens to people in this very rigid system who don't fit it because he's oh, yeah. I mean, he tells this story about how well, basically the reason he's at the wall is that his dad who's this very prominent warrior lord down in the south um, when Sam uh, Sam's character is he, he's not a fighter he, he, he's not very good at that and but but he you know he, he likes books and singing and you know he's, he's more of an academic yeah. and his dad's reaction is just sort of kind of revulsion and horror at this kind of <laughs> what, what is produced yeah <laughs> and and his solution because his uh, Sam's younger brother is is more in the is is more in his dad's mold yeah his solution is to say look we're going for a hunting trip next week and um you either you know well, he basically says look you either go to the say you want to go to the wall and take the black or we're going on a hunting trip next week and you're going to meet a sorry end and uh, I'll tell your mum that you fell off your horse. Jeez. So, I mean, that, so that's, that's what happens if you don't fit the mould. And even though yeah. Sam is in an, ex, an extremely privileged position as far as his birthright, yeah. if, you don't, if you don't fit, have the right attributes for this system, then you, you're just like any, any, any other sort of lower born, I suppose, um, off, yeah. member of society. So it's, it's the kind of system that is kind of attractive to a very small group of a very elite um, area of the population. But beyond that, most people seem to be treated pretty foully, regardless yeah. of background sometimes. Absolutely. And that's, that's why I think Sam's such an important character, because otherwise, we, you know, I think we've all in our, in our cultural history, certainly in the UK, we've got all of this pomp and pageantry and knights being heroes and you know, impressive men mm. in chainmail on horses you know, a strong history of drawing on that. And if we're not careful, we just kind of go, oh, I suppose, you know, it was all right, you know, knights and all of that. And no, it was monstrous. You know, these are people who kind of, who, who raised their wealth by threatening to kill anybody who didn't work for them and mm. who spent years at a time off fighting other people that, you know, really had no, no threat at all to the people they were supposed to be looking after and yeah. uh, and so on and so on. And... And I think George Martin's very canny in that he's realised you can write a great story about that kind of a world. But he doesn't want to sort of imply that um, that that it's sort of a desirable system. So he has something as, as monstrous as this, as, as Sam's dad um, doing that sort of thing. I wonder if we're going to meet Sam's dad later on. I'd be very, very interested in that. Because there's this guy whose only yeah. presence so far in the story is as a tope, like a, like a, a literally an infanticidal maniac 
and, yeah. and, are we, and and in any other place that would just be oh one dimensional bad guy but I wonder if we're going to come across him again if he's going to become important at some point yeah well I, I, I think it, it, it isn't a spoiler to say um, he is um, down in the uh, no it's not, not a spoiler at all he's uh, he is one of the bannermen of Tywin Lannister, so he's a Lannister bannerman. Oh, right. And, and he's and he's a very very successful Lannister bannerman as well. Right. Um, and he's very ruthless, but you're one of the key members of of the sort of Lannister household, or well, not household, but you know wider. Yeah, um, yeah, power base. group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, Ooh, we will see more of him in the future. Cool. I look forward to it. Yeah. Um, okay. Let, let's move on to the. We're we'll back with Ned now. Uh, oh no! There's one more thing I want to say about John. Is just the fact that we get from this chapter a sense. This is what that's what the book does much better than what the much better than what the series can of John settling in now as well. We get we spend a bit of time with him doing his sort of day to day jobs, and towards the end, the, the chatting and the talking about how they're how he feels as if the, these other lads around him now are brothers mm. rather than just colleagues or friends and you just get that sense of that um, tight bond that really does form up at the wall between the, the members of the Night's Watch despite all the hardships or maybe because of all those hardships yeah and despite all of the differences between them you know you've got yeah. various off casts from the upper class but then you know the, the vast majority of the people at the wall are these kind of criminals basically um, yeah. who don't know what they're doing and don't know how to handle themselves and aren't terribly trustworthy. And yet yeah. here's John kind of... I really I really love the kind of ironic ironic twist this gives to the whole Lord Snow name for the last mm. episode, and it's given to him by Sir Alistair as an insult and that. But actually, you know, he finds here a group of people in which he can be the natural leader he's always been good at being. Yeah. But you know, free from always being that bastard Jon Snow. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah the, the wall stuff. Um, great juice in it, yeah. Now, um, back down in King's Landing with Ned, and we get this report from the poor guy who's the uh, head of the City Watch, or the, effectively the police, or the militia, militia which take care of the policing, I suppose, in the... Uh, in the city, mm. talking about obviously this festival is being put, this event's being put on um, for the, the tournament for the Hand of the King, mm. and um, and he's saying about some of the issues they're having around it um, with security because all these rowdy knights and uh, all the sort of people around them have arrived in the city. It's packed and it's getting a bit out of control. Um, <laughs> it's described as this is just what happened in one night, Dave. <laughs> a drowning, a tavern riot, three knife fights, a rape, two fires, robberies beyond counts, and a drunken horse race down the street of sisters. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, this is not a good time to be the head of the City Watch. It's the drunken horse race that gets me every time. Like a, re like a litany of horrible, horrible crimes. And then, I, do you know what? I'm going to fucking race you. Yo, I'm going to fucking race you. But I can't walk. I tell you what, this is just a race on the horses. All right. <laughs> do you think? Do you think the horses were drunk as well? Because that would be amazing. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's that's superb drunken logic, isn't it? That's just. And then it's like, well, it's, listen, you're pissed and I'm pissed. What if your horse is sober and mine's pissed? You give him some brandy, otherwise it's not fair. Oh, you're very right. Very good. Very right. Okay. Now the horse is pissed. I'm pissed. You're pissed. And yours is pissed. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> the next morning I don't know where it went wrong <laughs> <laughs> that's, it. that's it as well isn't it oh I've got a headache and I remember giving brandy to a horse I, I don't think I want to know much more than that to be honest 
<laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's the bad side of this tournament, and obviously it's a very expensive thing to put on as well. Littlefinger gives the counter-argument, because he's the master... We don't think we mentioned, he's, his actual position on the council is the master of coin. Oh. So he's in charge of the treasury. Um, and so, yeah, unsurprisingly. So, so he um, and he's saying, look, this is actually pretty good for us as well, though, because you know the brothels are packed and the pubs are packed, and you know it's, it's almost a classic economic argument over putting a big festival on, isn't it? Yeah, um, yeah. it brings a lot of problems, but it also brings a lot of money in as well. Yeah, yeah. So uh, business is booming, is the good side, I suppose. Um, Ned's obviously. Just it's a it's a massive side show as far as Ned's concerned. He doesn't really want any part of it, but he's having to go along with it anyway. Mm. You get a feel for just how miserable Ned is because as he's trudging around um, in this chapter, there's a bit of sort of inner monologue where he's thinking about how much he'd rather he'd prefer to be back up north with uh, people he actually understands and yeah, uh, yeah. you know with, with his son in the practicing in the yard and things like that yeah but um it's you know alas he's he's stuck down there for the time being and um he, as we, we get a bit of the plot moves forward with this investigation around john aaron's death mm. it turns out that we hear a bit more about stannis who's who's the the middle brother between uh obviously the king uh robert and renly the youngest brother stannis is the middle guy who he's he's took himself off to somewhere um, just called Dragonstone and he's sort of looking after himself now. Yeah. And before John Arryn's death, apparently, Stannis, who's this notoriously um, sort of down-the-line guy and a pretty like, prudish as well kind yeah. of bloke, yeah. um, he spent a lot of time with John Arryn visiting brothels um, and, it, and Ned's thinking that just something massively doesn't add up though because Stannis isn't the kind of guy who goes to brothels, neither is John Arryn. Um, and and what was Stan, why was Stannis knocking about with him in the first place? They were never particularly close. So again, it's this sort of questions on questions, really, isn't it? Yeah, there something something rum is afoot. Yeah, um, as as Ned, Ned decides to to visit this armorer, which he's been um, is, uh, he, the trails led him to this 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 armorer's place. As he makes his way through the streets. Um, a, a lord, uh, another sort of dashing knight, arrives in the city called Lord Berwick, and um, and he's this. Uh, all these people are cheering, and again, it's just. I think it's it's worth mentioning because you hear a bit more of Berwick in in the future, and he to see his where he starts from here as this. Um, obviously, it seems like the world at his feet kind of guy. And, and yeah, he, yeah. Moving on to the actual armorer's house. Uh, Ned meets this this guy, this master armorer called I think it's Tobo. Um, I don't know if I pronounced that right. I, I don't know either, but I love the idea yeah. of somebody looking down at Tobo. a baby and going, "Yeah, exactly. I'm going to give him a name that can be yelled from the terraces." Tobo, <laughs> Tobo. <laughs> yeah, but uh, Tobo has got a um, he's got an apprentice called uh, Gendry, who's who's a, who's this really. He's really gifted um, armorer's apprentice. He's made this bullhorn um, helmet, and also he happens to look remarkably like Robert, uh, the king. <laughs> and uh, Ned comes, yeah, Ned comes away from this meeting think, thinking, yeah, that's one of Robert's bastards. Um, why? But why was why was John Arryn so interested in him? Because Robert is this notorious philanderer, yeah. and he must have loads of bastards knocking about. Yeah. Again, more questions, Dave. Yeah, absolutely, and and you, <laughs> um, I 
I don't know. Has this been introduced yet in the in the book? But it's not difficult to see. I think like tie together the idea of a recently, possibly recently murdered man who's been investigating other heirs of the king. Hmm. Um, and we've seen that the king's wife has apparently for some time been having it off with her brother. Yeah. I, you, well, you're, you're fitting some pieces together I'm, here, I'm, aren't I'm you? Piece, I mean, you know, stay with me, because, um, you know, we're through the looking glass here, people. But, <laughs> um, but you know, like, there's a... There's, cause if, if, if this is possible, if this kind of... If what seems to be suggested by all of this is possible, then it's the mother and father of all... I didn't even mean to say that, that's funny. It, yeah, is, that's it, it is the mother and father of all shocking kind of royal scandals, isn't yeah. it? And um, yeah. and you can only imagine it, you know, given it being a very, very interesting kind of uh, plot thing to play, if it's true, but we will see. Yeah. Um, the final chapter we're looking at today is about Caitlin. She is on her way back up to Winterfell with uh, with the now Sidey's Sean uh, Sir Roderick. I don't even know who, who he is, is anymore. It? <laughs> yeah, he's had a he's had a rollicking good time down in King's Landing investigating the whole houses. <laughs> Purely in the interests of, of, of you know serving his lord, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so they're on the way back, and they're obviously still trying to remain undercover um, because they don't want to draw too much attention to themselves. Because obviously there's only two of them travelling together, and Caitlin would be quite a prize for a uh, so any kind of ransomer to, to yeah, get hold of so they're true. quite cautious yeah. and um, they, 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 they've been staying in Holdfast and avoiding inns because they're, they're worried about being seen mm. but they, they decide to go into an inn this time and the reason is uh, they're walking down the road or they're travelling down the road and one of Caitlin's father's bannermen so one of the people who she would have seen for years and years and years when she was growing up, called Jason Malister, one of the lords. He happens to be on the road, sort of trotting past, and he goes right past her without even noticing who she is. Mm. And it makes her think, well, you know, I suppose I just look like any old traveller. So she she decides to have this cover story where she's travelling with her father, good old Sir Roderick, mm. and um, <clears throat> they're making their way back that way. So they go into this inn, and... Uh, Eventually, after various to and fro him, um, Tyrion arrives as well. Oh, and Caitlin tr- yeah. shit's and about Ka- to get Ka- real. <laughs> yeah. Well, Caitlin tries to keep a low profile and just tries to avoid him. Mm. But uh, unfortunately, after this, there's this uh, injection from a, a, a singer called Marillion who uh, calls over Tyrion. <laughs> just, he's just, can he's we just pause on that? What the frig is yeah. he doing? The G-Man. For all that he's a genius. <laughs> what on earth is he doing? Naming a bard, a singer of vaguely fantasy tinged songs, Marillion. Yeah. <clears throat> I bet Definitely his songs go on for fucking hours as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so T- Tyrion comes over and says, oh, hello, uh, Lady Caitlin, and uh, makes this big introduction. And Caitlin then moves very quickly. And I, just want, I wanted to get your thoughts on what happens here, because she basically stands up, manages to call on the support of a few other bannermen who, of her father's who happen to be in the inn, mm. and managed to ar- effectively arrest Tyrion and take him into custody on suspicion of um, trying to murder her son. Mm. Um, do, do, is this a rash move on, on Caitlin's side? Um, does she need to do it, or, or is she sort of forced into a corner? And she's, you know, What did you feel about it? 
well, it's <clears throat> absolutely a rash move. I can understand why she wants to do it. She believes that Tyrion was involved in the attack on her son, and yeah. you know which she's heard while she's been down south. And um, I can understand that. But it's not like she's got any honour to defend. You know, women in this society mm. don't have the same thing. If it was Ned, he'd be he'd be obliged to, otherwise he'd look weak. You know, he needs yeah. if somebody's attacked his son, he needs to kind of throw down. His wife can well get away with despising the guy and moving on. You know what I mean? Yeah. And kind of doing what she's what what she really needs to do, which is go north, rally the rally the support and the troops and and yeah. Above all, not take on a phenomenal kind of danger. Like, give the mm. most rich and powerful people in the entire nation, who are yeah. a heartbeat away from the throne, a reason to hate you and attack you. Um, yeah. But she doesn't think of any of that. For all that, in other yeah. points, in other points in the story, she shows herself to be quite a sharp political cookie. Right now, yeah. she's just clearly a mother who's outraged by what she perceives as an attack by her enemies on her child. Yeah, I understand why she does I... what she does, but fucking hell! I mean, it just like it just nothing right can nothing good can come from this at all. Yeah, I think yeah, I agree that I think politically it's a, it's a very risky move and probably a little foolish as well because you're overplaying your hand slightly. Um, and, and that was my first reaction, but I had a bit of a think about it, and I thought, and reread it, and I thought, well, I think she does this more out of fear than anything else, because she tries to. At first, she's not like she's she's furious, and as soon as he arrives, she storms over and tries yeah, to get him arrested. Yeah, like she, she tries to keep a low profile. Yeah, and then when he comes over, I I wonder whether it's the fact that he says hello and sort of starts making these grand um, and as he as he always does, fairly. Um, Almost snide remark. He's, he's always got a bit of a sort of laughing eyes, hasn't he, Tyrion? Yeah. And and she, she's. I think she's thinking. Well, it's just her and Roderick there. Obviously, they've they've already the nerves are already a bit shot because they're trying to get back without anybody seeing who they are. And you know, she's in a she's in a, a room full of people she doesn't know very well. And what's and it's a guy who she thinks has just tried to kill her son. So what's going to happen to her now? And she immediately just tries to as quickly as possible. Oh. Flip, flip it around and, yeah. and take the initiative before anything happens to her. Because I think she is under the impression that the way this is going, she's going to end up either dead or captured herself. That's very true. Uh, you know, uh, that sort of attack is the best form of defence. I hadn't thought of in this, but I just thought she just lost it. Um, yeah. But fair enough, actually. I mean, I think that's. I still think that's that's like tactically ill-advised. But I can't say yeah. that in that moment I'd do any better than that. Um, although yeah. it does kind of beg the question, is, is if her response, if she feels so insecure that her first response is to call on everybody in the tavern who works for her father to attack her, she must know that all of these people are already in the tavern. So how insecure can yeah. she truly be? Because all she needs yeah. to do is if, if somebody pulls a knife and be like, I am, you know, I am Caitlin Stark, you know, such yeah. and such Tully's daughter, you're all his bannermen. Help me out here. Yeah. And at the end of the day, it's yeah. a dwarf and his travelling company. Like, how much threat are they going to pose? Yeah. So I do. I still think it's a bit over the top. Um, yeah. But uh, but you're right. I yeah. can I definitely see how you'd be like. I need to take control here. Right. Where are the nearest swords that I can get to me? Sort of. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that that sort of cliffhanger is where we leave it with Tyrion oh. being taken. And, and oh, another thinking, another cliffhanger. Yeah, and we're thinking um, if you if you got a any kind of perception of broader political consequence here, you're thinking this is a 
this is a big moment because it's going to set most things in motion here, which are going to be very hard to stop because it 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 really it's the first time that overtly the Starks have have been aggressive towards the Lannisters, or to be honest, from the surface, overtly the Lannisters have been aggressive to the Starks. This is the first sort of opening shot of a of a real conflict. Now it seems. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, and I I remember. Um, again, when when you when we were watching the first series, and you were like, "You got to watch this." Um, it was the end of this episode. I remember you saying, "Yeah, pretty much from now, it's pedal to the metal," and there's been a lot of setup, <laughs> but from now, shit's got real. And, yeah, <laughs> and, um, yeah. and uh, oh, oh, it's brilliant. I'm really looking forward to doing the next few bits because they are fantastic stories. Yeah. Yeah, if you're reading along with us, then get ready, well, buckle up, because this is where it goes. <laughs> if you think it's been, if you think it's been sort of good so far, it's just about to ramp up another notch. Yeah. Um, if if you if you are reading along, the next part we're going to do, obviously, we start from the, the next chapter is I think it's about Sansa, page two eight five. If you've got the paperback, and it starts Sansa Road to the Hands Tournament. I'm going to read as far as page 372. So it's a big chunk of the book. And um, it's uh, the, the chapter to stop at is when you get to one about Daenerys. And it begins the, the horse gates of Vastothrak. So it's quite a lot to read. Of, but I mean, it's Christmas now, so you've got some time. Just, just push the family and the kids to another room. Sit down with, uh, with your favourite book. And uh, prepare for your favourite podcast. Absolutely, yeah. Who needs who needs family at Christmas time when you've got Shark Liver Oil? <laughs> exactly, when you've got feuding families in oh, Game of Thrones. Just e- e- with that. Impeccable chainmail. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, un- until next time. Um, very, very merry Christmas. And, Absolutely. Uh, and we'll see you next time. Merry Christmas. Happy reading. <laughs>